The following message is from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about Life Source is available at lifesource.org.au. Well, it's Pentecost Sunday. This morning I want to talk to you about what Pentecostals are. So, what is the difference? I, 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 seriously, I've got so much to say, so little time to say it. So are you ready for a marathon? I'm going to go a million miles an hour. So hang in there for the ride. Let me, let me give you some statistics first of all. Um, these statistics come from the status of global Christianity published by the International Bulletin of Missionary Research. And uh, a missions man called George Weigel. Uh, he, he, he basically went through all the stats and put, and put together some interesting features. So one of the things that I find interesting is this, is that 89%, 89% of the world's population are religious believers. Please excuse me for my printing. Um, I've handwritten some notes and poor Tanya at the back has difficulty reading my handwriting, so it's my fault, not hers, uh, if, if the stats are not, um, are not right. But you can write down, 89% of the world's population are religious. In other words, 89% of the world's population, just tell them I'm busy. <laughs> 89% of the world's population believe in some form of deity. Only 1.8% are professed atheists. Can you believe that? The atheists are well and truly losing the battle. Uh, the Dawkins of this world are in a very small minority. And 9% are agnostics. An agnostic is someone who says, I don't know if it's true, um, and so I'm at a place where I don't know. So they don't say, I believe, or I don't believe. They just say, I don't know. Now... <clears throat> Let me give you some stats about how Christians fall in this. This is, this is people that, that profess to call themselves Christians. A third of the world's population today, a third of the world's population, in other words, 7.3 billion people, 7.3, that's, that's in the world's population. A third of those are Christians. That's 2.44 billion. A third call themselves Christians. So of this third that call themselves Christians, 2.4 billion, 1.2 billion are Catholics. So that's about half. One in two call themselves Catholics. And um, uh, let's, let's move on. Let's leave out how many Muslims there are, how many African Christians. But let's look at how the Pentecostals have affected uh, the world's Christian population. In the year 1900, they calculated that there was something like 981,000 Pentecostal Charismatics. But today, there's 644 million. This is, this, George Wiggle says this. He says, in raw numbers, the Charismatic and Pentecostal Christianity is the fastest growing phenomena in world religious history. That's George Weigel's quote, that uh, over the last 115, well, it's 117, but these figures go to 2015, the world has never seen a phenomena like the Pentecostal 
charismatic uh, movement that, uh, that's just come onto the scene in the last 117 years. Now, let, let me just say this, that, that prior to the year 1900, it's not as if there weren't any Pentecostal charismatic people. There were people right from the Apostles' days, and we believe the apostles were certainly Pentecostal, charismatic. They believed in the power of the Holy Spirit. They moved in the power of the Holy Spirit. But what happened is that the world went through a series of what we call the Dark Ages. And Christianity became very institutionalized. And so Martin Luther came onto the scene with the Reformation. And he simply discovered a theological truth that was hidden... A lot of people knew it, but it wasn't at the forefront. And it's just and, and, and the simple thing that Martin Luther brought to the surface was that you were saved by grace and grace alone, not by how much money you gave, not by you know how many times you went to the church or, or, or by the church you know absolving you of your sins. It was faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a very simple truth that we all believed but lost, and that was the Christian Reformation. Beginning of the 1900s, what happened was that there was another Reformation, and we call this the Pentecostal Reformation. And the simple truth of the Pentecostal Reformation was the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what happened was that the power of the Holy Spirit started to come to the forefront. Now, what was, what's different about the Pentecostal Reformation is that it was like a simultaneous movement that started in all different parts of the world. So there is not one person that, like, like Martin Luther with the Evangelical uh, Reformation, this, this Pentecostal Reformation was a spontaneous thing that started all over the world. And so specifically in, in America, in a Bible school, they started to find a theology. And the experience was there, but all of a sudden a theology. And the theology was this, was that a group of Bible students were given an assignment to find out the work of the Holy Spirit in Acts. And so these students came up with this theology that in the book of Acts, whenever there was an outpouring of the Spirit, the initial evidence of that was speaking in other tongues. And so what happened was that there was a theology introduced that created the Pentecostal churches. And when that theology of this, what we call a subsequent experience after salvation called the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the infilling of the Spirit or the outpouring of the Spirit, because there's so many different terminologies about this second experience. That is what the Pentecostals believe, and that's what launched the Pentecostal movement that's become the greatest phenomena in world religious history. So, uh, so that's the background. Can I give you the Bible? Can I give you... Uh, just a biblical theology on what we believe. So if you have your Bibles, would you open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. And what I want to do today is talk to you about two different works of the Holy Spirit. So the whole theme of today is the Holy Spirit. But I want to talk to you about two very separate and distinct works of the Holy Spirit. One is what we call the indwelling of the Spirit, and the other is the infilling of the Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit happens at salvation. When you get saved, 
you get filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Now, Jesus, when he was speaking to his, to his disciples in John chapter 14, he introduces the Holy Spirit to them and says that the Holy Spirit is with you, but soon he will be in you. And so this dwelling, this indwelling, this Holy Spirit dwelling within us happens to every believer at salvation. When you get saved, you know, you were born of the Spirit. How many of you remember the, the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3? It was like, you've got to be born again. Well, how can I be born again? You know, first you're born of water, which is you come out of your mother's womb, out of the waters. And then you must be born of the Spirit. It's a spiritual thing. The Holy Spirit at work in salvation. And so the Holy Spirit then at salvation dwells within you. What we normally do in our Pentecostal and Christian churches is that we have an altar call. We get people to pray a prayer and we just say, Lord Jesus, come into your heart. Now what happens is not just Jesus comes into your heart, but the Father comes into your heart. The Holy Spirit comes into your heart because they are one. You can't have Jesus and not have the Holy Spirit and the Father. They are one. They come in as one. God comes and dwells within you. So this is what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Don't you know that you're the temple of God? The Spirit of God dwells within you. That happens at salvation. But that's not where it finishes. Then after salvation, there is another experience. And this is what the Pentecostals teach. It's a subsequent. Everybody say subsequent. It's after. Now, it might be 30 seconds after. It might be 30 days after. It might be 30 years after. But it's after. And it's for a different purpose. And uh, this is so important that we understand that the infilling happens after salvation. And, and uh, what we find in uh, the book of Acts, what we find throughout the New Testament is subsequence. So let, let me talk to you about four illustrations of subsequence. First illustration of subsequence is the disciples themselves. Now what happened in John chapter 20 verse um, uh, uh, 22, I think it is. Let's let me open up to it. John chapter 20, verse um, uh, 22. This is an experience that happened on Resurrection Sunday. This is what happened. Was that Jesus found the disciples and then he breathed upon them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. When did that happen? Resurrection Sunday. And so here it is now, the first opportunity post the cross. Up until then, the Holy Spirit was with them. The Holy Spirit was in the world, but he wasn't in them. And so at this point, Resurrection Sunday, post the cross, their sins are forgiven. They're washed. They are now eligible to be the temple of the Holy Spirit because they've been washed. They've been cleansed. So Jesus breathes upon them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And so the disciples received the Holy Spirit as the indwelling of the Holy Spirit 
on Resurrection Sunday. But then Pentecost was 50 days later. Can you see subsequence here? And so Jesus is saying to them, now listen, don't depart from Jerusalem until you're filled, until you're endured with power. There is another experience happening. You've got the indwelling. Now I want you to receive the infilling. And so Acts chapter 2, let's read Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost, this is 50 days later, 50 days after resurrection comes Pentecost, and what happened? The day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So this is so important that you understand the two experiences. One, the day of resurrection, they received the infilling, received the Holy Spirit. Fifty days later, Pentecost. Now, it's not the indwelling, they already received that. This is the infilling. This is the outpouring. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is a second experience. Now, not only were the disciples exposed to this, then you, you go to the Samaritan Christians in Acts chapter 8. When you go to Acts chapter 8, you find that Stephen goes to Samaria to preach the gospel. Jesus said to them, they need to go to Samaria to preach the gospel. How many? You shall receive with power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you should be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And so Samaria... Stephen goes to Samaria. He preaches the gospel. So you can read this in Acts chapter 8. And, and the people of Samaria, the city of Samaria, they responded to the gospel. And not only did they respond to the gospel, but they all got baptized. Now, now again, you know, it's very clear that these people were saved New Testament salvation, not Old Testament salvation. New Testament salvation in the finished work of the cross. They received the Holy Spirit as the indwelling because they're saved. Now, what happened is this. Peter and John and the apostles in Jerusalem hear that the Samaritans had received the gospel. And what do they do? They send Peter and John to go and pray for them that they might receive this subsequent experience. And in verse 14, when the apostles heard, uh, who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had not fallen upon none of them, they had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands upon them and they received the Holy Spirit. Can I press pause for a second? Because what we need to understand is the words that are used by the different authors of the New Testament actually have their own significance. So when Luke, who is what we call a Pentecostal theologian, when, when he uses words like received the Holy Spirit, he's not talking indwelling. He's talking infilling. And so, so when... So, so Luke actually leaves out all of the stuff on the indwelling and just focuses in on the infilling, the power section of it. And so his terminology is all about the infilling. So when he says they received the Holy Spirit, he means the, 
The Holy Spirit was outpoured upon them. It means that they were filled with the Spirit. It means they were baptized with the Spirit. So, so Luke uses all of these terminologies to mean the same thing. And whenever it's recounted, actually different terminologies are used. And they're all expressing this subsequent experience called the infilling. Man, I'm going so fast, I hope I'm not confusing you, okay? Are you fine? Then the third illustration of subsequence is found in Acts chapter 9 with Paul himself. So how many of you know that, that Paul had an experience of salvation where? On the Damascus road. So in, in, in Acts chapter 9 verse 6, he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? As soon as he said, Lord, that confessing Jesus as Lord, that was his salvation. Three days later, Three days later, God sends a disciple called Ananias to pray for Paul that he might receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so what you have with the Apostle Paul is salvation, the indwelling on the road to Damascus. And then three days later, the infilling happens in, uh, in Damascus through the ministry of Ananias. And the fourth very clear Evidence of subsequence is found in Acts chapter 19 with Ephesian believers. And, and what's fascinating is that Paul goes to this town called Ephesus and there he finds some disciples. And he asks them this question, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And their response was, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, well, well into what were you baptized? What a very interesting question. Why? Because, because Paul baptized people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so if they haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit, it's like, well, what were you baptized in? And, um, and, so, and so then when he realized that their baptism was the baptism of John, he preaches the gospel to them, introduces Jesus, introduces the Holy Spirit. They get saved and they get baptized. And so, so how many of you know that, that according to Paul's teaching, you can't get water baptized unless you're first saved? And so I'll tell you, what, tell you what else is interesting about this, is that Paul didn't say to them, oh, you've already been baptized. I don't have to baptize you again. He basically said, no, your first baptism wasn't right. I need to baptize you right and that's for some of you that are thinking about well, when you were baptized as a child. How many of you know that that's not right? That was your parents' choice, not your choice. You didn't confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There was no on the confession of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be baptized. It's just, and so that's why we baptize people that were baptized before. Because their baptism as a child, we call that not quite right. And so we baptize believers. Anyway. Press play again. Got all these pauses. Are you still with me? I'm going at a million miles an hour. But I know that you're incredibly intelligent and you can follow through. So back to Ephesus, if, uh, Acts chapter 19. So they get saved, they get baptized. And as soon as they get baptized, bang, Paul prays upon them. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. They start speaking in other tongues. They prophesy. Just an amazing thing begins to happen upon their lives. So there's four illustrations of subsequence. Four illustrations of people first being saved and then receiving the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do um, both now for the rest of this morning and again tonight is share with you the difference 
between the indwelling of the Spirit and the infilling of the Spirit. Are you ready for the difference? What, 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 what are these two experiences? Because both of these experiences serve a purpose. So, so let's talk about the indwelling of the Spirit for a little while. Because this is for you. This is for you. Whereas the infilling is for others. It's not, it's not as much for you as for others. So, so the indwelling of the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14, says you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is your guarantee of our inheritance. This is uh, Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. Uh, uh, In him you also trusted after you've heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom you've also believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. What an amazing thing to understand that the Holy Spirit dwells within us and becomes the seal of our salvation. So, so for me, this is so important because the indwelling of the Spirit is like your guarantee. It's like your passport to heaven. It's like, you know, you're not going to be asked 50 questions when you get to the pearly gates. You're not going to be, you know, it's, it's like, does the Holy Spirit dwell within you? Because He becomes your guarantee. That's, that's the seal. That's the, that's the passport. The dwelling of the Spirit. Now, the infilling of the Spirit is for others. It's for the salvation of others. It's to empower you. Jesus said, you shall receive power. You shall be my witnesses. And this is so evident when you see Peter, who was definitely a born-again Christian. There's no question about the fact that Peter was a born-again Christian. But a, 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 really, a really weak one until he got filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he becomes a powerhouse. And so on the day of Pentecost, not only do we see the outpouring of the Spirit and people speaking in other tongues, we see 3,000 people getting saved. And for me, that is the greatest evidence of all of the outpouring of the Spirit because power is released. 3,000 people got saved. This is evangelism. This is what it's about. It's not for me. It's for others. Let me tell you something else about the indwelling of the Spirit. It's for guidance. The indwelling is for guidance. It's to guide you through life. So, so you know, we've got so many evangelical Christians that are not necessarily filled with the subsequent experience, but still have a wonderful experience with the Holy Spirit simply because of the indwelling of the Spirit. We don't want to denigrate those people or say they're second rate. At all. That's not our style. And uh, that's not what we're trying to do here. Because the Bible says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So the indwelling of the Spirit actually gives you guidance. But the infilling of your Spirit gives you power. That's something that we need to understand. One is for guidance. The other is for power. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Guidance, power. I want both. I don't want one or the other. How many of you want both? I want to be led by the Spirit. I also want the power of the Spirit. And this guidance to me is just so important. I need to be led by the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes we just miss what the Holy Spirit actually is able to do 
in our lives. Can I talk to you about being led by the Holy Spirit, being guided by the Holy Spirit for a little while? Because if we don't actually welcome the Holy Spirit into our lives, even as the indwelling, let alone the infilling, we don't get all the benefits that he gives us. And some of the benefits is being led, being guided. So how often do you stop and you say, Holy Spirit, would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would you help me make a decision here? See, this is, this is where Pentecost actually enhances the indwelling of the Spirit. Because Pentecostals are very spiritually aware. That's the difference between us. You know, you, you, evangelicals are very theologically aware. Not generalization. Generally, very much into the word. And, and Pentecostals, well, we're, we're almost uh, 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 judged as not being as theological, which is wrong because we are. We're certainly into the word, but we're also into the experience of it all. You know, this is fascinating. I was brought up in a Pentecostal church, but the first time I went to an evangelical church, I was about 10 years of age. And... Um, Back in those days, we're talking the 60s, uh, Pentecostals weren't well known. It's not as if we, especially in Australia, it's like you go to what church? And, and this was my classic response. We're like a Baptist church with the Holy Spirit. And it was like, we're like them with a bit extra. And, um, and, and so, so scripture, there was no Pentecostal scripture. And so... There was, I, I used to go to scripture, and it was evangelical scripture. And we went to one of the churches. And I remember they invited us to come as a family because they had something special. And I remember, even as a 10-year-old, being able to go into one of these churches, and the songs they sang were great songs. The word that they preached was a great word. But even as a 10-year-old, I kind of felt there was something missing. And what was missing was this whole sensitivity and this this sense of the presence and this this whole understanding of spirituality and which was very prominent and emotion it was like everybody would stand still you know and there was no emotion and in our churches there's so much emotion involved in it and I love that and I relate to that not not everybody relates to that but I certainly do not only that, but there's this sensitivity of, Holy Spirit, would you lead me through life? And would you change me? And would you help me understand your will and your purpose for my life, being led by the Spirit? So let, let me talk to you about how the leading of the Spirit has changed my life. And tonight I'm going to be talking about how the infilling of the Spirit has changed my life. But let me talk to you about how the indwelling changes my life. Because the whole purpose of the indwelling of the Spirit is to make you a kingdom person. See, too many people miss the point. They kind of think, yeah, well, I just want to get to heaven. I just, I just want to get that passport. I just want to have my sins forgiven and be sure that I'm going to live with Jesus forever and ever. You know, that's the far away goal. The imminent goal is to make you a kingdom person. The imminent goal is for you to become a son, a child of God. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons, the children of God. 
So the transformation has to happen where you, you actually change from being a worldly person to a kingdom person. And you say, well, what's the difference? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question. Because a kingdom person is totally different in the way they do life. There's three changes that take place. When you're a kingdom person, you get, number one, a new heart. Number two, you get a new mind. And number three, you get a new walk. Let me talk to you about these three things that you get. First of all, the new heart. In Ezekiel 36 verse 26, it says that God's going to put a new heart in you, a new spirit in you. Just something happens to your heart. It gets transformed. and it's, so, so the passions become different. And so when, when the Holy Spirit leads you, he, he so renews your heart that you are no longer chasing the things of this world, but you're chasing the things of God. No more do you have a love for the world. You have a love for God. And worldliness is not the thing that you pursue. You, you, you know, so many people ask the question, well, what, tell me what I can get away with. You know, how close can I walk to the line? See, if you're going to ask those sort of questions, you need to get resaved, is all I can say to you. Because a kingdom person is running away from the world. They're chasing the things of God. So, so, so they've been, their heart's been renewed. Now, not only has their heart's been renewed, they've got a new mind. And Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, about the renewing of the mind. And what we have today is a very huge difference between worldly mindset and godly mindset. And, and, and you know what? It's never going to mix. And so when you listen to the world's mindset, they ridicule what we treasure. And, and I look at what they believe and I think, you guys are crazy. You guys are mad. And they've got this blockage. How many of you enjoyed the video that we showed you last week? Was that powerful or what? I, I don't know. I think I've received more feedback from that video than I have for a long, long time. And so many of you want to have access to it. We're working on that, aren't we, Sandra? We're getting close to... We'll, we'll email you to give you the access to that video. But it's all about worldly thinking versus godly thinking. And so, so when you have the mind of Christ, you think differently. The way you see things is different. And so what the Holy Spirit wants to do as he guides you is take away the veils from your eyes so that your truth is godly truth, not worldly truth. Because worldly truth changes all the time. And so, so what does this look like? Well, let me tell you what it looks like. What this mindset looks like. So, so this mindset is positive. Why is that? Because God is positive. And so one of the things that I do is this. I resist negativity. So, I, you know, I, I resist talking negative stuff. I just resist it. Why is that? Because kingdom people are positive. There's just something about kingdom people. They're positive. See, kingdom people, they walk in faith. So, so for me, God's got it is, is the ultimate expression of faith. I don't care if the world is burning down, God's got it. 
you know, nothing catches God by surprise. And so I'll resist fear. I'll resist stress. I go to my dictionary and I've actually cancelled out those words. I've scrubbed them out. They don't exist for me. What exists for me is faith. See, that's a kingdom mindset. Here's another one. See, I, I, I believe that God has destined me for success and victory. So he's lined me up for success and victory. And so I don't believe in problems. I just don't absorb problems. I don't have problems. You say, come on, John, now you're lying. I have opportunities for growth. You've got problems. I've got opportunities for growth. But they might look the same. But it's my mindset that approaches them differently. And you know what? The more mature you get, it's amazing how what was once a problem is no longer a problem. Let me illustrate. I'm seven years of age. Back in those days, we had corner shops. How many of you remember corner shops? Do you remember corner shops? And so back in those days, milk came in bottles. How many of you remember that? Milk in bottles. Much easier to drink out of a bottle than out of a carton. But anyway, we don't do that anymore. But anyway, the, so, so I'm seven years of age. Mum sends me to the corner store to buy a bottle of milk. Okay. So I buy the bottle of milk. I'm on my home. There's condensation on the outside, not concentrating. Guess what happens? The milk bottle slips out of my hand and smashes all over the ground. Well, I'm a seven-year-old kid, and I'm panicking. For me, this was huge. This was, this was like the end of the world. This is like the Antichrist has now arrived, and the head's going to be chopped off, and the number of the beast. I, I, I'm panicking, you know. It's like, so I, I run home crying my eyes out that, that this problem was so huge. I, you know, it was like the world is about to end because I dropped this bottle of milk. My mother, my mother just says, don't worry about it, son. But I, but I just dropped the milk. It was the, to me, it was the end of the world. Her attitude is, I can see the solution to the problem. We'll go to the corner store and buy another bottle of milk. How many of you know, how many of you know that when you approach it from that mindset, the problem is no longer a problem because you've already got the solution? Hello? You know, can I say to you, whatever you're facing right now is only a reflection of where you are on your journey because every time you overcome your problem and find the solution, you actually have an opportunity for growth and you grow. And I can give you illustration after illustration, but what happens with a lot of people, they never learn from their mistakes and they just keep repeating them. Whereas all God wants you to do is to find the solution and every problem now is an opportunity for growth. And so what happens is this. People come and see me and say, John, I've got this problem. And I say, well, I want you to stop right now and just think about what the solution is. But I want you to give me the solution. And I say, see, you'll never become a kingdom person until you stop and you ask the Holy Spirit to show you what the solution is. You'll always be stuck in immaturity. Now, can I just say to you that there's always a place for mentoring. 
But let's approach it from the angle of, I've got a problem. I know there's a solution. Would you help me find that solution? And, and that's a whole different ballgame. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. The Holy Spirit never falls on the ground and takes up the fetal position thinking, oh no, what am I going to do? But some of you do. You fall on the ground in the midst of your problem, take up the fetal position. We had a missionary that took up a fetal position for over, a, I think it was for a month. Just totally, just so engrossed in, in just how big this issue was until he got out of it and said, no, God's got a solution. And now is a long-term missionary. But for a month, he lived in the fetal position, just so overcome with his problem until the Holy Spirit was able to lead him through See, some of you are at a point where you just need the Holy Spirit to lead you through. This is the indwelling of the Spirit. He gives you guidance. How many of you think that's an awesome thing? And let me tell you another aspect of a renewed mind. Oh, my goodness, is that the time? Uh, guys, you need to come tonight because I've got more time to share with you tonight. Um, Poor Tanya at the back thinking, where did John go with this message? It's got nothing to do with my notes. And, uh, <laughs> but give Tanya a great big applause at the back because she's, it's a miracle. Can, can we stop this morning and just, um, I need to stop because I've got so much to give you. And, and I just want us to pray for the Holy Spirit to help us. Can we pray that? I just want you today, look, the whole purpose of today is just to make you more aware of the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you some stories just to show you the power of the Holy Spirit, even at conversion as the indwelling, let alone the infilling. Some of us need, need to get the indwelling right before we get the infilling. You know, you can get both and you can develop both, but how important it is just to acknowledge the Holy Spirit, acknowledge that He's our advantage. Come on, I just want you to close your eyes and I want you to pray this prayer with me. I just want you to say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome. You're welcome in my life. Help me become more aware of you and what you want to do in my life. Right now, I lay before you all of my problems. Help me to not see them as problems anymore, but opportunities for growth. Opportunities to become a kingdom person. A person who thinks differently. A person who walks differently. A person who talks differently. Help me grow. Holy Spirit, you're welcome. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.